Do you aspire to become a responsible leader? How do you see yourself now as a young man? Learning from challenges is one thing, but getting opportunities is another. If you're a young man who wants to learn about personal growth, life lessons, and leadership, tune in to Essential 11, Shaping Leaders Among Leaders. Thanks for joining us, man. This is great. It's my pleasure, dude. I really like the episode I was telling you about yesterday with, um, I, I don't know how to say his last name. The- yeah, I don't either, man. I, it's uh, No, it's Kumulatos. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I avoid Greek and Pacific Islander last names. because For sure. <laughs> For sure, man. Yeah, Nick's, a, uh, Nick's such a good guy. And that was the first time, I think when he came on with the young man, he and I had connected through, you know, through social and somebody introduced us. But that was the first time he and I got in a chat. We've become, um, definitely become friends over the last couple of years. He's a really solid guy, man. Seems like it. Yeah. Now, I think I met someone the other day, you or your wife may know. Her name's Tamara Andres. Andres. Okay. Here in Virginia Beach, she's written like three books and basically helps people start businesses. Uh, okay. The girl that introduced us is a, like a mentee of mine. And Got I it. told her about Acton. She loved the Mark Bell episode. And then it okay. turns out uh, Tamara's kids started acting this summer. So we got to talk. And I guess she follows okay. you on social media or something. Because when I said your name, she's like, who? I'm like, the guy. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Uh, very cool. That's awesome. It's always ends up being a small world. You know, you find that. Um, when you got people that are that are moving forward and intentional, whether it's from the parenting side, the education side, just business side, paths inevitably cross, you know, because so many people with those lower, you know, lower standards. And so if people want to raise the standards, you just end up running in. And that's what these guys are all here for, man, is, is you're talking about raising standards. We got young men from all over the world here that it's time to hold a high standard, you know, yeah, and to push forward. And so they are, you know, the the projects, the challenges, all these things these guys are taking on, it's it's to uh, just change the narrative about what young men are capable of. So it's pretty freaking rad, man. No, it, I got super excited listening to the episode yesterday. Yeah. yeah. Just, even the questions, the kids, the heroes, yeah, the sure. are asking, I'm like, wow, y'all are too young to be asking that good of questions. It's great. Yeah, sir. But see, and that's the thing is because they're the right age for it. Right. And, and unfortunately we don't have adults that think like this. Right. And, Right. And it's not that they're, you know, that's the first book we have them read is Do Hard Things because it eradicates this concept of being young that you're incapable. And that's nonsense. You know, it's garbage. You're so capable, you're fully capable. And so we need to be able to support them, man. And so, um, so it's an honor to get to bring on amazing guests and, and guys like you. You know, it's a big deal. And I want them, so I want to, you know, before they get to the, uh, questions that that they'll have that are way better i want to uh you know show them who you are and, and talk about your journey man and i always like to start with these guys kind of back in the okay well now john's 12 13 14 like i like to start there and go okay well who who was this guy then because he wasn't the stud navy seal you know <laughs> business coach yet who was this guy at this point and let's walk through the journey a little bit before we open it up to them Okay, well, so to quote one of my teachers from high school, who I'm friends with now and has gotten to know me really as I became a Navy SEAL and got out, he goes, yeah, when he introduces me to his athletes these days, like, you know, I'll, I'm not going to lie to you guys, John was a bit of a class clown, always goofing off, I'm like, yeah, you're not wrong, <laughs> but yep. uh, no, 12, 13, 14-year-old John, uh, I like to think was a good dude, right? I was a bit of a class clown, super talkative, always super inquisitive about everything, couldn't shut up. Uh, I also desperately needed structure and regiment without understanding that at the time. Yeah. I always enjoyed training, going to hit baseballs, throwing my dad and stuff like that. And that's kind of where my 
itch for regimentation came from of seeking structure in a program. And quite frankly, 12 year old version of me would have jumped all over this because it sounds like exactly what I wanted. I just didn't know I wanted it at the time. And uh, yeah, going through life, had a pretty normal childhood. I don't have a, a gnarly going to jail story like the last guest did. Yeah, good. For better or worse, you know. Um, but I always knew I wanted to do something really, really cool. It's something fun, something very meaningful. And even at a young age, I knew I wanted to do something bigger than myself. Even if I didn't know that at the time, I can look back and go, yep, that was the truth. Mm. And my dad was the chief of operations at the sheriff's office in my hometown. So I kind of got that law enforcement side to me of, okay, that's what I'm going to do when I grow up. Uh, my mom was an administrator in the hospital. Uh, she's a great leader, man. You talk about a lady who cares about her people. To this day, she'll still text me and tell me what employees are up to and like what she's doing to reward them. More like just take care of them for being great people, you know. Awesome. But I kept progressing through life and there was nothing really special about me. Man. I was in very average classes doing very average things. I just somewhere in my mind, I knew I wanted to go do something really, really cool later in life. And I, I knew I would. It, it was crazy, man. There's just a few things I've had happen in my life where I knew it would happen before it happened. I, I just knew. And that was one of those things. And then in middle school or high school or so, I started catching the Navy SEAL thing. You know, the documentary on Bugs Class 234 came out, and I would watch that religiously. I remember that well. It's a good one. It is good. I remember thinking, I think I'm going to do that. And if we rewind even farther back, I actually remember this like it was yesterday. I was about six years old, and I'm at home with my dad, who I think the world of. Like, growing up, my dad was my hero, and he still is. And he showed me a picture. He said, you see this right here? Like, yeah. And he's like, that's the baddest dude on the planet. And it was a, the quintessential picture of a Navy SEAL coming out of the water, Drager on, gun and everything. And from six years old, I always perceived Navy SEALs to be this immortal type being, right? And just the highest standard you could get to. And then you pair that up with catching the documentaries that I watched and the other, other documentaries, whether it's the history of the SEAL teams or whatever, it just really started to create a very strong itch. And then much like most special operations guys, I wanted to go do the hardest thing. And what's funny is, as I started to learn more about special operations, I knew I wanted to be a Navy SEAL. Like, Army Rangers are great, Green Berets are great, they're all great people, but Navy SEAL is what I wanted to be. But I was a little scared. It's not a it's not a secret that SEAL training is super hard. It has the highest attrition rate. You get sleep deprived, you're cold, you're miserable. And I remember thinking, I wonder if there's a way I could get into special operations without having to do that. And I was trying to cheat the system and short, short it and not have to do the hard work to get where I truly wanted to go. Luckily, even at a young age, something came up and said, hey, dude, if you're going to do it, just do it, right? Don't try and be there through false facades or a false path. Just go do the thing you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. So in high school, man, I was at the point where I would go eat lunch and I would scarf my food down. And then I'd go to the library and just read books about Navy SEALs, read articles about Navy SEALs and just learn every single thing I could. And so I was kind of making the decision pretty young without my parents even knowing this, like, yep, yeah, I'm going to be an Navy SEAL one day. However, there was a hiccup here. So at a very young age, and I'm sure you see this all the time, I got diagnosed with ADD or ADHD, whatever you want to call it. After being around people like you and hearing the truth of things, I don't think I had it. I think I was just a six-year-old boy who wasn't meant to sit at a table for eight hours a day, right? Yes, like a whole lot of horsepower here that needs to get let out. Yes, so, sir. With that diagnosis, especially in the 90s, came the, pres the prescription of medicine to help take care of that. And when I first started talking to a recruiter, he's like, whoa, dude, you've been on Ritalin and Adderall? Like, yeah, he goes, you can't be on that. I'm like, oh, man. And he basically said it's a disqualifier. And then fast forward a little farther into the college years, 
I was basically like two inches away from failing out of college. And my mom got my chili one day of like, you got to start doing better. And I just, I remember just calling and saying, Hey mom, it's okay. I'm dropping out of college to be a Navy SEAL. And I mean, she went ballistic and to, and I don't falter for it, right? Like I had, I had shown no track record of proven success and excellence. How are you supposed to go do the hardest thing in the world? However, I'd already been strategically getting ready to do it. So when I was 19 years old, I had a herniated disc and had to have a disectomy and an L4, L5. And that meant 30 days of recovery where I can't do anything. So I took that time to quit taking Adderall or Rhythm or whatever it was at the time and learn how to live in my true natural state and how to handle the ADHD brain. If I truly had one, I don't know. Right. But I strategically quit taking it without telling anybody because I needed it out of my record with a recruiter. So then I went and met up with the actual recruiters and we're getting close to me being ready to do this. And even then, man, they're like, you had back surgery, you can't join. I'm like, and I mean, I'm only 20 years old at this point. I'm like, doesn't a thing like a waiver or something exist? And they kind of roll around like, yeah, but it's really hard to get. I'm like, Going to the SEAL teams is hard, man. My, my journey is just hard from the get-go. So between medication stuff and the back surgery stuff, I had quite the long route to finally enlist into the Navy. And then even once I got there, there, dude, I, I'm not, I don't know what it was, but it seems like there was always a force trying to keep me from getting to the SEAL teams. So even in boot camp, about halfway through, we had to do like our final medical checkup or thing where they evaluate your med record. And I walked into this civilian's office and he was super rude. And they all, all of them were rude there. And he goes, yeah, man, you're disqualified. You, you can't go to Bud's. And I said, why not? He said, well, you've had back surgery. I said, yeah, but I have a waiver from my surgeon and from the Navy and from another doctor. He goes, yeah, that matter. He said, honestly, if you're trying to be an Army Ranger, they wouldn't even let you go to boot camp. And me being a smart aleck said, well, it's a good thing I'm not trying to be an Army Ranger now, isn't it? Right. <laughs> and, uh, basically, yeah. told me right then and there, like, you're, you're out. You're not going to Bud's. You're going to be sent home. You're not going to be in the Navy anymore. And then divine intervention always happens. And I, I remember going back to our compartment in boot camp that day. And I'm just, I'm, I'm a mess, right? I'm being told your dream is going to be killed without you even having the attempt to do it. Well, then I get a Red Cross message that same day. And for those of y'all who don't know what that means, you get that when a family member dies. So my boot camp instructors come out to me, hey, come here. And they pulled me to the side away from everybody. And they, you know, hey, man, we just got a message that your grandma died. I'm like, well, this sucks, right? Like, I just got told I can't go to Bud's. I just got told my grandma died. I'm like, what do I do, right? We we, we are now giving you the liberty to go to the phone, call your family, and do whatever you need to do. I'm like, cool. So I do that. Well, with my grandma dying, that meant all of our family had to come to Thomasville, Georgia, to gather for the funeral. Well, my uncle was a former JAG attorney in the Navy. Um, mm -hmm. Worked up to like an 04 or something like that. But the guys he worked with, he stayed friends with for the rest of his life. And some were still in the Navy. And one became an admiral. So my mom goes to him all upset, like they're sending John home. And she explained everything I just said to you guys. <laughs> and, and he goes, okay, hold on. Picks up his phone, calls a buddy. And then that buddy calls the civilian who told me I couldn't do this. And he basically got a note from Admiral so-and-so saying, uh, John Richards is cleared to go to Bud's. You will not pursue this anymore. And from there, it wasn't ever a problem again. Literally heard nothing ever again. And so now I'm taking this into consideration of like, all right, dude, like you're supposed to do this. Go do yeah. it. And Finally got out to Coronado to go to Buds in 2012 and went through the whole pipeline, Buds, SQT, SEAL qualification training. Finally got my orders to a team and got to SEAL Team 4 in October of 2013 and stayed there for six or seven years in multiple points all over the world. And it was, it was a lot of fun, man. I, I I didn't realize it at the time, but now that I'm I'm removed from the situation and I'm retired, I realize like I, I got to walk with the finest warriors on the face of the planet every yep. single day. 
you know, and uh, that was like, that's kind of the blessing of a lifetime to be in that company. And while no one in that company will tell you that they are that company, yeah. I can tell you everyone in that company truly is the, that man, that man that you seek to be. And that kind of played back to why I wanted to go to the SEAL teams. I wanted to be something far bigger than myself. I wanted to have a purpose. I wanted to try. And that's, I think that's something we really miss today with technology and stuff like that is people are so not just removed, but severed from an actual tribe. Yeah. And it is, it is crazy what you find in that tribe when you get to go do hard things with hard people. Yeah. And and while I was there, I got to become a master breacher, meaning becoming an, ex, an expert with explosives, blowing holes in walls, kicking doors down, all that good stuff. A, a jump master logged 200 jumps, learned how to rope out of a helicopter, learned how to speak French. And it's kind of crazy because I'm building this point while I'm at team four of, and you've learned a lot. And even at that young of an age in my career, I would reflect back on who I was growing up. And if you had gotten in a time machine and go back to younger me and go, hey, man, you are going to be a Navy SEAL. I go, yeah, sounds right. But you're also going to be bilingual. You're going to be in a meditation and you're going to help people understand their feelings. I probably would have laughed you out of the room. But that's kind of what a true warrior path takes you to do is things you never expect and become someone you didn't know you could be, even though it was there the whole time. You know? How... I absolutely agree. And and part of what you said, I want to connect a, a couple of dots to you because you're talking about how people are looking for, you know, this this tribe. And, and I think you're I think you're right. Um, I think there is also this overwhelming uh, cultural uh, almost a, I look at it as almost like this disease, man, where it's like we we frame it in a well, give yourself grace, but we stick there so long that we put being a, a victim on a pedestal, right? There's this victimhood that has become a new virtue sort of thing, right? So you, as a young man, are getting all of these doors, all the doors are closing, right? Like mom's like, you don't have any, you know, you don't have the track record to prove this to drop out of college, right? Shutting the door, you know, the surgery, shutting the door, you got the, the ADHD and the medication, shutting the door, and I feel like there is a big cultural push nowadays where it'd be like, oh, look, it's just not meant to be, right? It's just not meant to be. And everybody would lift you up and just go, it's okay that your dreams are being crushed. And just, you know, there's gotta be something else. And you're like, no, man, I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. Like, where do you think that resilience came from? Because I think that still freaking matters for these young guys where it's like, no, man, I, okay, I'm going to get some wrenches thrown at me and everybody around mom and dad, a lot of times included are going to go, oh, it's okay. It just happened to you. It's not your fault. Right. Versus like, okay, yeah, that maybe that's not, but it's still in my control to go make this happen anyways. Right. Like where did that, where do you think that was born for you? Um, I don't know. I think it's a nature versus nurture. Thing. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. Um, but if we step back and like, look at the DNA of which I came from, yeah, I was a big dude, marathon runner, triathlete, ran the sheriff's office. My mom's an incredible leader, a great gift of communication yeah. that she has. And I've both seen them not take no for an answer. Mm-hmm. And so in my life, as things have been very important, you just don't take the first no. I take it as a not yet. Okay, cool. This door didn't work, but I'm just going to find another one. And it's funny to hear you use the door analogy. And then I just explained how I'm an expert at kicking in doors, right? Like apparently that's something I've been doing physically and metaphorically my whole life. And quite frankly, when you want something bad enough, you're going to make it happen. And that's really, that's all it comes down to is I just had a really bad case of the wants. I want to do this so bad that I'm willing to sacrifice sleep, my body, health, everything. So, you know, you throw at me, I'm like, cool. I'm 
I guess I'm expecting this. Moving on, where's the door I can get through? And just never take no for an answer. So yeah. like for, for the young ones listening here, that's that's where your mark of greatness is with whatever you want to do. If you truly want to do something, you don't care how inconvenient it is, you'll go make it happen and you're going to get far more creative than you ever thought you could be because you're obsessed with getting the answer you're actually looking for. So that drive was just always there. Um, and yeah. even before getting to the SEAL teams, clearly I got to exercise that muscle without truly realizing what I was doing. Yeah. Yeah, practicing. I love that, man. And you use the word obsessed. And I agree. And you use the case of the wants. That is the thing that is missing, for, I think, for a lot of uh, young men in particular is the want, right? It's that case of the wants of just going, no, I want this so bad because we have so many of our wants that are met now. And for young men, some of that adventure, and I talk to these guys about it all the time, some of that adventure, some of that DNA that's in there, it's like, no, man, we want to go conquer, we want that adventure. We want to go get after it. Some of that gets checked off by these distractions and things that don't matter. And we check off our adventure over video games or over TikTok or over whatever. And, and we check off those little dopamine hits and feel like, okay, cool. Well, now I don't have any wants because mom and dad are also going to take care of me. They don't have, you know, maybe society doesn't have very high expectations. School's not hard, doesn't have very high expectations and we get stuck in this place of complacency so early and that is the biggest thing that i think is the enemy for these young guys is that low freaking bar mm -hmm. that we have set for these guys that eliminates the case of the wants that singularity of purpose you, you know, know what um my baseball coach told me this years ago you know what the biggest enemy of all this is with what we're talking about with achievement it is the society accepting mediocrity Yep. And you step back and look at mediocrity. Mediocrity sucks. I don't care if it's the norm. It still sucks, right? Like if your kids listen, if you are shooting for mediocrity, you are asking asking to live paycheck to paycheck. You're asking to never prosper. You're asking to have a a, a sucky marriage. Odds are one out of two will fail. Even if yours passes and you're still okay with mediocrity, it's still going to suck. You're going to be a crappy husband, a crappy. Everything's just going to suck, and you're going to sit back and just be reactive. You're not going to be proactive. You're going to accept accept things that come your way, even if it doesn't lead to the output that you want, because you're like, no, that's just how it happens. But mm -hmm. no, dude, go go be proactive and punch something in the mouth and get what you're after. Get it, dude. Yeah, I think they're, you know, and I talk to, I get to work with parents, I get the blessing of working with so many parents around the world. And, and um, every once in a while, they're like, oh gosh, I don't really, like, I heard the F word and I don't really like the F word and the four, dude, the four letter F words that are the worst four letter F words it, are fear, and fine. Mm. Your freaking <laughs> right there, right? Fear because you've been taught to be afraid of all this nonsense and fine because everything's fine. How how would that if somebody says, Hey Matt, dude, how's how's your how's your marriage? And I said, That's fine. Does that sound good? Nobody wants that. How's your relationship with your kids? That's ah, fine. Nobody wants that. How's your job? Fine. Yeah. Nobody wants that. Mediocrity is is an enemy is an absolute enemy. I love the way you frame that. So fast forward. So now you're retired drought and I, and you kind of alluded to what you get to do now. He says, you know, now I get to work in, in kind of this field of meditation and getting people to, you know, getting to help people work in, in through their feelings. And you're taking on this, uh, you know, kind of this coaching uh, platform now and, and growing out of business that way too. talk about that transition and a little bit about what you're doing here too, before we open it up to, uh, to these guys. Cool. Let's do it. So I, um, I've always been a theme for growth. I mean, I'm a, I'm a book junkie, right? And even in the teams, I went through a very big growth process. After my first deployment, we came home and I realized there's a lot more I want to achieve in this career. 
So I had to get in better physical shape, better mental shape. I had to learn how to communicate better. I had to learn more about myself. I had to learn what makes a great leader. And so I just started getting my hands on anything I could read, anything I could listen. And then I went and um, had some really good success with something outside of SEAL Team 4, still inside of Naval Special Warfare. And then when buddies of mine back at Team 4 caught wind of it, they'd come to me like, hey, dude, how'd you get ready for that? And like, what workout program do you use? I'm like, hey, man, this is this is beyond working out. I didn't make me a better athlete. I didn't look to make me a better Navy SEAL. This was all centric with me growing myself as an individual so I could be the better version of me. And then that better version gets to go be the Navy SEAL I'm trying to be. It, it never starts with just increasing one thing because the way you do anything is the way you do everything, right? So make you better so that you can go do whatever. Bingo. So I worked through that and without even realizing it, I was kind of coaching buddies to go get ready for these endeavors. And then it led me coaching some other friends who weren't even in the SEAL teams. And then a handful of years ago, it dawned on me, John, you're a teacher. You just didn't realize it. You may not work in a, a normal classroom setting, but you're a, you're a teacher at heart. I truly love knowledge transfer. I love to take what I know and help other people learn it. And so the next light bulb went off and I thought, hey, make this a thing. Like go go help more people. Take what you learn in the SEAL teams, which is very valuable. Yes. Go take what you truly learned about your very specific journey about learning more about yourself and your thoughts and your feelings and your fears and how to work through that and go pour it into other people. And every human being on earth is meant to serve. And I'm no exception. And no one on here is the exception. In fact, Everything under the sun, to include the sun, exists for something other than itself, right? right? The sun shines to give light and warmth to the earth. Rivers don't just flow to flow. They flow to fill the ocean to provide life. Everything exists for something else. And that's something that dawned on me not too long ago. Now, that's my life mission, dude. Go go serve. Go exist for things and people other than yourself and pour into them and help them get where they want to go. So I started, started the coaching business, High Ground Life. And high ground, just so y'all know, is a tactical thing. Like in land warfare, you always want to own the high ground. If you get up to the high ground, you can dominate your terrain. So take the high ground in your own life is kind of what we're driving at here. So yeah, I started the coaching business and just finding people where they're at and helping them grow. So I have one client in the NFL. He was an All-American in high school, won two national titles at Clemson. There's nothing I'm going to teach him about football, you know, but he's eight years younger than me. And he lives in a 1% population being an NFL athlete. I was in a 1% population. And I know the struggles and pressures that come along with living in this environment. So I help him grow into the best version of himself. And I help him find his feelings that he didn't realize he had. Every client I work with learns how to meditate, which is really fun. Because a lot of people view that as soft and hippie. But I'm 6'3", 230, covered in tattoos. No one's calling me soft. So I get to preach about emotions and meditation. Um, And just helping them identify where are they strong, where are they weak? How do we attack their weaknesses? How do we allow them to grow? How do we get out of our own way to go get what we truly want? And so, I mean, we we would get super in-depth with the stuff we were working on with him. But then on the other side of the spectrum, I have a client who's a CPA for an owner, a professional accountant. Mm-hmm. That is far from an NFL athlete or even a Navy SEAL. Yep. But what gets lost on people is before I'm a Navy SEAL, I'm a human being. Before he's an NFL athlete, he's a human. And before he's an accountant, he's a human. And there are simple human truths everyone can apply to their life. And there are simple human needs that everyone must have met in order to be that best version of you. And so that's all the process is, man, is just constantly peeling the layers off the onion with people and feeling, figuring out where they're truly at. And what's really cool is if we start working together and they're here and they want to get to here, we start walking that path. But as they get closer, they're going to see an extra mile down the road to a final version. So this is never ending process of growth. So while I absolutely love being an ACO, I love jumping out of airplanes. I love blowing things up. There, there's 
uh, far, I don't want to say better, but different fulfillment of having, of helping someone have a breakthrough moment and realize things they never saw or helping them get where they're trying to go. And that goes back to everything's meant to serve, man. So no matter what you do in life, do it to serve someone. Even if you're starting a business, don't let profit be your driver. I love profit. I love making money. Open a business to solve a problem and serve someone. Passion over profit. Yeah. That'll play out every single time and you'll figure things out as you need to. Yep. Yep. You absolutely will. And the profit will come on the back end when your heart is really there to serve. When you're really there to serve is when it opens up. Uh, That's exactly it. And I love how, I love the way you frame that too, with, you know, the sun even exists to serve something else and the river exists to serve something else. That's the reality that goes back to the DNA of who we are. It is the rule. It is not the exception. So part of this, you know, and for you young men to take this away, a part of it, when you are in a, you know, if you get into this rut where you're feeling like you're lost or you're not, you know, something's not working or you're, you're not experiencing the joy that you want to experience. Service is an area that you need to take a look at. And all of the mentors that are coming in, again, you guys are finding these patterns. Everybody here is serving somebody else and serving a higher purpose and serving somebody else, right? And joy becomes a byproduct of that service. It doesn't go the other way around. Once I get happy, I'll go help other people. No, it's not that way. It is the other way around. You go serve and joy is a byproduct of that because that is the rule of our design. It is one of those things like he, you know, like he's saying, he's coaching all these people. The the common thing is the humanity piece. And there are common things in our DNA that have been creatively designed. And that's a part of that is that service component, man. I think that's so dang, so dang powerful. So where are you getting, and gentlemen, if if you guys have some questions for Mr. Richards, what I want you to do is go ahead and start putting your hands up. I'm going to call on you guys here in just a second um, so that you guys can start jumping in. Where are the majority of your clients coming from now? Because you got the NFL guy over here. And by the way, guys, do you see how high level, and he's got a CPA firm owner, High level people aren't the ones who don't need, all of us have coaches too. That's not something that you have early on and then you outgrow the need for a coach. No, the the highest performers always have coaches, always. So he's coaching high level people and he has people who coach him as well. So where, where are the majority of these guys coming from for you, John? Uh, before we dive into that, exactly that, man. A lot of these people that I work with are high level, like C-suite type folks, or maybe yep. the number one guy. Yep. A person has no one in his organization he gets to come to, right? When people have problems, it goes up, but he's at the top. There's nowhere for it to go. So this may sound soft, but it's not, I don't mean how it's going to sound. There's times I'm just their safe space where they yep. get to say things that they can't bring to other people simply because of the role they have. Yep. But they're still human and they still have to get that stuff out. And that's a pleasure too, man. Like it can be a burden because a lot can come at you, but I just remind myself, hey man, you're here for a reason. Meet them where they're at, everything's gonna work out. So to get back to where you're saying, um, they kind of come from all over. And in fact, I've only one, I've only locally coached one person mm. since I started this whole thing. Um yeah. it was Ben Smith, the 2015 CrossFit Game World Champion. Oh, yeah, yes. Yeah. Awesome dude, man. You, yeah. you love him. And he's a man of God just a great, great, great human being. And what's cool is like, he and I would do our thing where I'm the coach and then we'd go do a workout together and I'd get worked, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. And it, it just comes from getting my voice out there. And I'm working with a girl right now and I'm kind of falling under her umbrella of her clients can access me through their company, which sends a lot my way. 
Yeah. And other, other parts, man, are just posting on social media and getting this recurring message out here. And people yeah. message like, hey, what's this about? So, and, I was like, no. and we, we just start. And I'm, I meet with people on Zoom for an hour. Sometimes we go 90 minutes. And there's no there's no sky too high and sea too deep for this kind of stuff. Just like we talk about these high up people. Right. With a guy right now who was currently laid off a couple months ago and he's scared and doesn't know what to do. He needs me just as bad as the guys at the top. Yeah. And so you have to remember that in the practice of your humanity. That just because someone may not be in a steamed place does not mean they don't deserve to get service from you. That's right. So good, man. And by the way, I know you serve that way at home too. You know, you showed me a picture yesterday. You got your, you got your boy. He's got his four-year-old boy out there just working yesterday and doing the, you know, he's, he's getting after it, man, taking on his responsibilities and dad's leading from the front of home too. (laughs) He calls it the standard because I call it that one. I'm like, Hey bud, we got the standard. He's like, I need to go clean up my room. And he just doing it. Oh, doing it right. Dad. Love it. Absolutely. Love it. All right, gentlemen, I'm going to start grabbing you guys. Matthew, you are up, sir. Thank you for coming on today, sir. Uh, I was wondering what's the most important lesson you learned in budget training? That's a good question, Matthew. There's a lot, so let me see if I can narrow it down. I would say, and this applies to buds, the teams, and life in general, the grind just doesn't stop. Mm-hmm. It, life will always be hard. As soon as you get past one thing, a new thing's going to come up. So let me clarify this for you. When you're in buds, the first three weeks are terrible. The fourth week's hell week. But those first three weeks, you're just thinking, man, once I get past hell week, everything's going to be okay. Well, then you get through hell week and you realize everything's not okay. So now you're thinking, once I get out of first phase into dive phase, then things will be fine. And then you get to dive phase and you realize, oh my gosh, there's even more here. But then you start to think, okay, once I graduate and I, I actually become an ABC on a map of team, that's when things get good. Well, no, because then you just check in and you're a new guy who knows less than anyone else on the team. And so it just never stops. And on the final piece of that, even when you get done with your first workup and deployment, you think once this is done, I'm no longer a new guy, things are going to be great. But then you realize, oh, I have more responsibility now. And the new guy I was just, that I just belonged to two years ago, I now have one of my own that I have to train and get ready. And so I've learned that through buds, like very heavily, but then just seeing it apply through everything in life of understanding, man, things are always going to come. So you can make the actual choice of happiness and contentment. You can have it right now where you're at, or you're going to seek it, seek for it to come somewhere else. And it's just never going to come. And when you seek happiness and fulfillment, a lot of people don't realize this. That's an inside answer. You're not going to find an outside source to fix an inside problem. So wherever your feet are, be happy there, be content. If you aren't content, ask yourself why is it because I'm not doing enough? Am I not living a purpose-filled life? Am I not serving? But to answer what you said, the grind, man, it's just always a grind at all times. And you just have to man up and be ready for it and understand that's life. And that's going to that's gonna be what's asked of me for the rest of my life. So good. What do you think, Matthew? Thank you, sir. Yeah. Matthew, wait, wait, Matthew. What did you What do you think? What did you think the hardest? Uh, what do you think the biggest lesson I learned was going to be? Uh, I just maybe uh, just to value your time that you have. And. Hey embrace like the hard things yeah that, that's that's spot on dude that's a great lesson right there too so i was curious mm-hmm. to hear what you were thinking you were going to hear and what you thought it would be yeah no it's a, it's a great question and that's and you know there's the um and i know jordan talks about it a lot of times too where peterson where you're talking about you're choosing your heart right it's the, the pain of the pain of discipline or the pain of regret and you have all of these you know uh different memes and and quotes and things that are floating around and and those are all extraordinarily real you know but what 
Mr. Richards is saying, I mean, that is spot on understanding that there is always going to be an obstacle. There's always going to be a challenge. You don't get to opt out of that. So you just, you embrace it. You embrace the fact that, that those are opportunities for you to grow, to, to get better. You embrace that and you move forward and you understand that there's going to be not just obstacles, but there's going to be people and there's going to be all these, you know, I was talking to one of our, our brothers in the Apogee uh, strong dads program this morning. And he was saying, yeah, said, but you know, I'm working on this stuff and it's felt like I was getting disrespected, you know, over here. I'm like, hold on a second. Go look at the history of the world. God gets disrespected. <laughs> yeah. So why, so why on earth do we think we're above being disrespected by somebody else? Who cares? Put some perspective to it. You don't have to care that you're being disrespected, but just understand if you're doing anything worthwhile, that's part of the course because God himself gets disrespected. So who are you? It's going to happen. So get over it, get past it. You know, I mean, just you're, you're all, you're all going to be all right. Love it. Tate, go ahead, sir. Thank you, sir, for taking my question. I'm just wondering, how did you make it through the SEALs program without quitting or leaving? That's a good question, man. Um, thank you for asking. It, one, I, I just want to hit on something before we get into this. I know kids your age, sometimes y'all are super shy and maybe meek about asking questions. Bring it on, man. I want to hear from you guys and I want to be able to pour back into y'all. So whatever you got, let's go full send and do it. And so how did I get through BUDS? How did I get through training? Is that what you're asking? Yes. So I'll share a story with you because I almost did it. The first three weeks of buds, just like I alluded to, they suck. They're hard, right? But it's, it's nothing too crazy. The fourth week is hell week. And that's, we're going to lose at least half your class. In hell week. So backing up a little more, my class started with 270 guys. Four weeks later, we were down to 180 to kick off first phase. After the first three weeks, we were down to 100. And then after hell week, we were down to 40. But Hell Week is meant to test you. It's like if, if the first three weeks didn't get you and you have a hole in your in your system, Hell Week's going to find it. And I remember we started Sunday morning at like six in the morning. And then it just it's all go from there on out. We went all Sunday night. You're running. I think you run over 18 miles that first night. You've got a boat on your head. You're getting surf cultured in cold water. The sun comes up. That's exciting because you're like, hey, it's a new day. Cool. That, that day is done now. And then you keep progressing through. And then Monday at dinner, we see a lot of people quit right then at dinner. Every Monday, every Monday of Hell Week, you see a lot of people quit because it's the first time in 36 hours that you've actually stopped. Mm. The adrenaline's wore off. You haven't slept in a long time. You're considered clinically insane. We've gone that long without sleep. And all these weird feelings start to rush in. And I remember we come into the chow hall. And I sat down at my table. And as soon as I sat down, man, I just felt the color and life get sucked out of my body. I went into full on depression. I felt lonely. felt like I didn't have a single friend in the world, even though I'm sitting right next to my best friend in the entire world. And then this chatter started of, hey, man, you could quit and that'd be okay. And you're not even going to quit because it's hard. It's so hard. You just don't feel like doing this right now. You don't feel like you're up to it. You've never met an Navy SEAL. No one from your hometown has done this. Yeah, you could quit, dude. That'd be that'd be okay. Nothing let, there will be nothing less of you if you go quit right now. And then somehow or another, another voice came up and said, Hey, whoa, dude, you've worked your tail off to get here and it's dinner. Why would you quit when you're sitting down eating? Like if you're going to quit, which I don't recommend doing, at least do it while something's hard. That's actually testing you and challenging you. Mm. So I have this battle of like two conflicting opinions in my mind. And I came to of like, you know what, if you're going to quit, do just do it while you're doing something hard, but get into it, make sure it sucks when you're going to do it. And then just take it every every evolution by every evolution. So dinner goes on. 
instructors yell feet, which means dinner's over, go back outside, go back to the boat. And I walked out of the chow hall doors. The sun had gone down and it was dumping rain and it was 40 degrees outside. And I remember thinking, I, I might just do it. And I look at my best friend. I say, hey, dude, I don't know what's going to happen tonight. He's like, what do you mean? And I said, I think I might quit. And he looks at me and goes, bro, shut up. It's hell week. It's meant to suck. And I had this epiphany like, yeah, shut up, dude. Like, you just go. Why would you quit? Like, you, you're here to get through this. So that night, I basically had this huge epiphany of, I'm going to break things down to whatever level I have to, to be able to get through it. I'm not going to allow myself to be overwhelmed knowing we still have four days left. I'm not going to allow my, my willpower to get lulled to sleep while I, while I've stopped and I'm eating a meal kind of like uh, idle time is the devil's hands kind of thing mm -hmm. and learning how to take everything bite by bite, bite. So best way to eat an elephant one bite at a time. At a time. Don't look at it as one big endeavor you have to do. So just start chipping away. And then kind of what we talked about earlier, man, I just had a really bad case of the wants. Like I went into Buds knowing if they don't want me to get through this program, they will have to kill me. And it felt like they were trying at times. Mm -hmm. And then once I had that epiphany that night, I realized, holy crap, dude, they can't break you. Like there is nothing that they can do to make you quit. And you're going to be here for the long haul. And what happened was like throughout the week, I noticed I wasn't getting cold anymore. I wouldn't feel wet when I got wet. It was probably because I was just so jacked up at that point anyway. But I went into full-on survival and want mode of chasing this thing down and viewing getting through Hell Week as like a gazelle and I'm a leopard and I'm going to stalk it down. I'm going to kill it. And I think it was Wednesday or Thursday, the sun finally came out. It rained and hailed the first few days. And I'm standing outside with our boat, my class is inside eating. And I'm just kind of smirking to myself because I was kind of elated because I hadn't slept. But an instructor walks by and goes, hey, what's up? I'm like, nothing, man. He goes, oh, what you laughing at? I'm like, well, it just dawned on me. There's nothing you can do to make me quit. And he goes, is that so? I said, oh, yeah, which is yes. He goes, cool, man. See you Friday. <laughs> and he knew, like, yep, the, the program worked. This guy's done. He, he is good to go. So I hope that answers your question. Man, if you, just, if you just want something bad enough, it doesn't have to matter how much sleep deprived you are, or how cold you get, whatever. You'll find a way to make it happen. Yeah. Uh, that's it. What do you think, Mr. Bowman? Thank you. That was awesome. My uncle, he said pretty much that exact same thing. Like he went through, I think the army and they were, they, he would just laugh because yep. there's nothing they can do to make him quit. Yep. That's that. It's beautiful. And you know what? <clears throat> Good for your friend too, for just saying, Hey man, zip it. You know, it just hey, zip it, and it's okay. And that's another thing, man, that it, it breaks my breaks my heart because I'll, I'll hear other young men helping each other out, and we can handle that with each other. And just go, hey, dude, you know what? Shut up right now. I've got you. Let's go. You know, we can do. It. And I hear too many parents. Oh, that that's shaming. You're just, it's like, dude, nope. You know what? Let let the young men do it. Let men do this and help each other out. Sometimes the guys can say to other guys, hey, man, suck it up. Let's go. And we need that, man. So good on your friend for throwing that out there to you, too, because um, that's a level of support, man, that we need sometimes. That's freaking yeah. awesome. Dude, he and I stayed in trouble. His older brother was already at the teams and yeah. went to with our instructors. And then so between that and then me just always kind of clowning, we just were always getting screws put to us. For sure. <laughs> that's awesome. You have now taken the step to becoming a great leader of tomorrow. Join the Apogee program by visiting www.apogeestrong.com. For inquiries, contact us 916-728-0606 
or email matt at apogeestrong.com. Thank you for listening to Essential 11, Shaping Leaders Among Leaders. Stay tuned for more episodes. Music